Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You were watching episode 156 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a bunch of lacrosse. We're going to talk about Syracuse, Virginia. We're going to talk about Duke, Notre Dame from Thursday night. We're going to talk about some America East lacrosse, some Patriot League lacrosse. We've got Maryland and Hopkins that played a big one. So we're going to talk about a boatload of games here today. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, like, and subscribe. Just do that blindly. We're trying to get to 10,000 subscribers before the end of the season, but we need you guys to subscribe like crazy people. And then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com to get swag and support us that way as well. Let's just dive right into it though. Syracuse at Virginia, a near must win for Syracuse and Charlottesville on Saturday. And the orange sent a message to everyone that doubted them, including myself, that we ain't dead yet. Jacob Fopp, who has struggled mightily at the faceoff dot against ACC teams, he goes 24 of 27 against Petey LaSala, who's been the ACC's best faceoff man. He's been the country's best faceoff man, in my opinion, uh, since getting murked by Syracuse their last time out. So Fopp plays huge. The possession deficit proved too much for UVA to overcome as the Orange pull out that 13-11 win on the road. They improved to 6-4. and four. That locks up a better than 500 record for Syracuse, and that pretty much locks up an NCAA bid. That means almost definitely, because Syracuse won this game today, it means almost definitely all five ACC teams will end up being in the NCAA tournament. If they're not, it will be an absolute travesty, but I, I don't see a world in which all five ACC teams aren't in the tournament now. Uh, tale of two face-off men. Fop, he has struggled, like I said, since uh, the last time these teams played. He was 22 of 33 versus Virginia in their blowout win, in Syracuse's blowout win over the Cavs. So Fop, the last time he dominated was 22 of 33 against UVA. He's been 6 of 29 in losses to Duke, Notre Dame, and North Carolina. So he did do well against Albany in the middle of that, but in the three losses to ACC teams, he was 6 of 29 over that stretch. And then he goes 24 of 27 yesterday against UVA. He took every draw for the Orange, and without his effort, without him absolutely destroying Petey fucking LaSala, then uh, there's no way Cuse pulls out this win. I found myself in a really odd place because like I've said numerous times, I have become fans of all of these teams and other players that I cover. Petey LaSala is one of my favorite lacrosse players in the NCAA lacrosse. And despite that, you know, and my love for Syracuse, I found myself kind of pained a little bit as I was watching just things snowball for LaSala started out early. And I was even early when he was losing so many, I was like, eh, at some point, Fops, you know, he's going to LaSala will even the score. LaSala's really good at making adjustments at halftime and coming out and playing better in the second half. Did not happen. And Virginia tried to throw other guys at Fop. It was just Fop's day. And it wasn't just Fop either. Let, let's let's be clear. Fop, I think he ended up picking up about eight ground balls or 10 ground balls or something like that. So a huge portion of these wins uh, should be credited to the the wing play of Syracuse. A bunch of them even ended up in boxes and defenders were picking up the ground balls as they battled for it. So Fop going, uh, winning 24 or 27 of these, this was not his win alone. This was that entire unit's 
uh, team. Uh, Kennedy played well on a wing. Uh, the you know a bunch of and it was no like other one guy just had a boatload of ground balls to to help contribute to all these faceoff wins. It was a total team effort up and down the roster in terms of the guys who played in the wings, the guys who just happened to pick balls up that made their way to boxes. It was pretty crazy to see. So Cuse Merck's UV at the faceoff dot. They win the game. Now we look at stats here. Owen Hiltz, he paced the orange with three goals and two helpers. J- Jamie Tromboli also had a great game. Tromboli kind of felt like the odd man out here, despite the fact he's a multiple-time first-team all-ACC midfielder, all-American. I mean, the kid is a goal-scoring machine for Syracuse. The kid knows how to get it done in this game. Three goals and an assist. Owen Siebold, he gets his first uh, start at attack. That was the guy that I was hoping was going to end up starting at attack for Chase Scanlon because Siebold is an attackman by nature, and he's had a really good season this year, and he's he's he showed uh, flashes of being really good last year as well. So Siebold gets his first start at attack. He goes for two goals and two helpers on the day, and I think he looked much better. I think that attack unit with two Dodgers down there, with two threats to dodge in Siebold and Rafis made it really difficult for UVA to match up with, and it, it, it worked well for Cuse. Uh, Rafis and Quinn, they each go two and one on the day as well. Quinn actually looked pretty decent. UVA stats, Matt Moore, he was quiet from a goal-scoring perspective, but he dished a bit. He gets a goal and three helpers. Xander Dixon has been playing well these last two games for UVA. He's been developing nicely into a legitimate threat for UVA, and his play, based on these last two games, you're assuming he's going to demand the ball a little bit more. He's been getting a lot of burn at midfield anyway, but you'd think they're going to start trying to showcase him a little bit more as well as he's played offensively for the Cavs. Uh, he had three goals in addition to the loss, but like I said, he's looked great. He had a goal and three assists in their last game against Utah as well. Alex Rode, he wins the goalie battle, battle on the day over Drake Porter. Rode had 16 saves, Porter with nine, but Porter played well enough in key moments that when, when Virginia was really threatening to battle back, those were the moments where Porter would make a, a token save and the ball would go back the other end and Syracuse would score and squash UVA's momentum. Not a whole lot to talk about here. There's no the, – the kicker with the ACC is you could talk about, oh, well, there's ramifications for who wins the regular season title and all that, but it doesn't matter. Like, the eight, who wins the ACC could not matter less outside of just momentum for the team that wins it. So in the end here, the Syracuse winning this game, that guarantees their chances of being better than 500. They Even if they lose to Notre Dame next week, they'll have had two quality wins over Virginia – all of their losses were to top 10 teams, I believe. And then they've got other top 20 wins over teams like Stony Brook and, and uh, uh, Vermont, depending on who's ranked Albany. You know, depending on who's ranked, almost every team Syracuse played is, is, has been ranked this year. So easily, easily every team in the ACC gets into the NCAA tournament. And that's all that really matters here as they've beat each other up all year. So no need to talk about what's going to happen, who's going to win the ACC regular season. doesn't matter. They're all going to be in the tournament, and they're all going to be really tough draws for whoever has to has to play the ACC in the NCAA tournament. Next up for the Orange Show, Notre Dame. They have Notre Dame next weekend, and then they may pick up a game the, the first week of May there, the end of the first week of May. Uh, we got to kind of go back in time a little bit here now to Thursday night's game, Duke versus Notre Dame. The balls that Nakai Montgomery and Michael Sowers put on display in helping their team climb out of a 12-7 hole with under nine minutes to play was nuts. Pun intended. Uh, If 12-7, it it was 12-7 with eight plus minutes 
And if that wasn't bad enough, they were down 12-8 with under five minutes to play, and they were down by two with under four seconds le- or 40 seconds left in the game. The odds were totally stacked against Blue Devils, so much so that I left the bar when it was 12-8. Uh, it was 12-7. We start getting up to leave, and at, Nakai Montgomery had scored that goal to get them back to within 12-8, but it was like, eh, Notre Dame's going to win this one. I went home only to get texted by my buddy later saying, hey, did Duke win that game? I was like, apparently, apparently so. Apparently they did. So Nakai Montgomery, he scored with 8-12 left, unassisted, down the left alley, and that gave Duke a touch of hope. But like I said, I still left the bar. That path to, uh, to victory included a quick Owen Caputo goal after that, another Nakai Montgomery goal less than two minutes apart. Fit number 15 stuck his third goal of the second half and game with 231 remaining in the contest. Duke wins the next faceoff. They turn it over, though. It goes back to Notre Dame. Duke's still down by two, and I'm still thinking Notre Dame's got this game. But but that's not right. With 14 seconds left. No, 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 no. Uh, okay, so Entman ends up, or no, I, I'm totally butchering this here. Okay, either way, Duke is down by two with under a minute left. They have the ball. Michael Sowers gets the ball. He sticks one. He kind of dodges from the middle. It was very, very similar to Nakai Montgomery's goal. Uh, that he scored to get them back to within two goals where Montgomery was kind of in the middle, dodged to the right a little bit, came back to the left and then stuck one going kind of right to left and stuck it going back away from Entman on his weak side. Sowers does the same thing, kind of brings his guy to the middle right a little bit, dodges back to the left. Kind of, There's kind of a pick in the middle. I think it might have been Caputo setting the pick. Not even sure who cares. Sowers doesn't even run off the pick clean, but gets enough separation, has his hands free. He's easily 14, 15 yards out, stings one left-handed, off hip uh, of Entman, and now Duke's down by a goal. Duke wins the next faceoff, gets the ball back, and they won the next faceoff because it rolled out of bounds. But ball right back to Sowers again. This time Sowers goes down the left alley, realizes as he's going down that left alley, no one's on his hands. He steps up, two, he gets his feet planted and everything, and scorches another left-handed shot, weak hand, and sticks the pipe on the far side this time off, off stick hip of Entman. Just crazy. Crazy. And then to keep things going, obviously, Kavanaugh ends up scoring what appeared to be the game winner, but he lost to shoe and the official rightfully called the goal back because the second you lose a piece of equipment, if you continue to head towards the goal or continue to play dead ball. So even that was crazy. I mean, right down to the end, it goes into OT after they take that goal away, but all of it, how it played out was nuts. And then Cam Mule, he sticks the OT game winner from Sowers. This was really a Tewartan moment for Sowers. In my opinion, this game puts him back at the top for Tewartan consideration. And the reason being, I mean, they, they lose to Notre Dame the last time they played. They are down and out in this game. And over the course of the last minute, Sowers puts up two goals over a 34, like literally like a 20 second span to tie the game up. They're down by two. Sowers scores two near impossible goals to tie this game up. And then he assists the game winner in overtime. I mean, how does this not put that dude right back at the top? Once again, we're going to talk about in this next game, Maryland Hopkins, about how Jared Bernhardt did something very similar, but the, the opponents that the two were facing, not the same. Bernhardt did it against Johns Hopkins, who is terrible, and Sowers just did it against Notre Dame, who is not terrible. So I feel like two goals and an assist over the last 30 seconds of regulation, and, and you kind of count the, you know, lump the, the OT into it. Uh, I think that puts, in my opinion, Sowers back at the top. But once again, 
as I say with the ACC, it doesn't matter who wins the ACC because they're all making the tournament. With the Tawartan, I don't think it matters right now as much what happens as long as they keep playing well. I think the Tawartan is going to the eventual national champion, or at least, like I said, the last team standing, standing at least. Um, oh, man, what a, I'm struggling today, guys. I've been drinking a little bit here over the weekend here. I got myself a new gun yesterday. That was why I did not do the live stream yesterday morning because I was gun shopping. So next game, I want to talk about Maryland and Hopkins. Hopkins gave Maryland all they could handle on Saturday, but the Terps were able to pull off the 14-13 win thanks to big games from Jared Bernhardt and Logan Wisnowskis, who both went for four goals and a dish in the win. One of the greatest rivalries in college across. It played out well for fans on Saturday. Maryland jumped out to a big lead early. I think it was like 5-0, 5 zip or something like that at one point, and they kind of held on to that for a, a, a bit of time. Hopkins, though, eventually fights back. They end up taking a late lead, but like Sowers did on Thursday night, Jared Bernhardt got to have himself his own Tewarton moment, albeit against an inferior foe. I have to throw that dig in there uh, so that I can be right and other people are wrong. Bernhardt, he had scored the Terps' first two goals of the game, but then he was quiet otherwise. He tallied a third goal in the second quarter, but then beyond that, didn't do much as Hopkins started mounting their comeback. And uh, Logan Wisnowskis, he scored Maryland's first real desperation goal on a crazy dodge as the shot clock was running out from behind. Number 12 here, Wisnowskis, he goes diving from you know just a bit behind goal line extended, trying to get himself out in front. And just before he hits the ground, he kind of shoots the ball, elevates it back up, and in this weird diving goal, sticks it in the top corner. Crazy uh, goal, actually. That got Maryland back to within a goal with a minute 48 to play. Right off the ensuing faceoff, ball goes right to Bernhardt. He wastes no time. He doesn't wait for Hopkins to get back on defense. He doesn't wait for his homeboys to come back and help him on offense. He just catches the ball off the faceoff and goes right to the cage, right into the heart of the Johns Hopkins defense. He sticks one with a minute 36 to play. So just 12 seconds after Wisnowski's got him back within one, Bernhardt scores to tie it up with a minute 36 left. And then Bernhardt, assists the game winner he's he's down behind and he talked about in the post-game interview how he was kind of going through his progressions trying to see if anyone was trailing the play and he sees Wisnowskis open himself up on the right wing which is a really weird place for Wisnowskis to be I had heard them say it wasn't a likely place for Wisnowskis to be but I've actually seen him score quite a few goals with Bernhardt behind and him coming down facing the play scoring left-handed from that right wing that's exactly what he does what he does they've done it a bunch of times in Maryland ends up winning this game. So Bernhardt, he scores a goal to tie the game up late in the game, and then he assists the game winner to Wisnowskis. Not quite as dramatic as Duke's win over Notre Dame, but pretty damn close in terms of just being a big conference win to end Maryland's regular season undefeated in the Big Ten. Maryland's now 10-0. and uh, Wisnowskis and Bernhardt, as I said, they both go for four goals and a helper. Joey Epstein played pretty solid for Hopkins. He goes for uh, one and three, and Connor Simone goes three and one for Hopkins in that loss. Next up, next up, we have Army and Navy. And admittedly, I fully thought, fully thought that uh, Army was going to win this game. Navy's defense stifled Army's big cat, Brendan Nick Turn, big time. Like, they didn't give Nick Turn an inch to do anything, held him to zero points, or as my daughter would say when she was young, held him to none points, zero points off just a couple of shots. 
Spencer Reese, he was great in cage for Navy. He stopped 19 shots on the day, only giving up four goals, which is pretty crazy. Schupler didn't play bad in cage for Army. He goes for 10 stops and gave up, what, the nine goals. So he, he was better than, better than 50% on the day. But Reese, overall, he stole this game from Army by standing on his head. Credit goes to the Navy defense, though. It's not all Reese. The Navy defense, they contested shots. They stayed on guys' hands. More importantly, they beat up Nick Turn. They forced Nick Turn into getting rid of the ball early. Never really got any offensive flow going all game long. So credit the Navy defense for that. But they pick up this big 9-4 win. Uh, they also won 10 of 17 draws. Navy did, thanks to Jacob Jaros. And then Joe Delira, he scored three goals to pace Navy overall in that win. Another game, Penn State and Ohio State. Not that this game means much in terms of uh, improving Penn State's chances of making the NCAA tournament, but beating a hated rival by a goal late in the game, that is always fun. Dylan Folds, he sticks the game winner on Saturday with just 108 remaining in the contest. It was a bit of a tic-tac-toe play with Mac O'Keefe getting a feed over to the right wing. And then he sees Folds opposite pipe, hits Folds. Folds throws kind of a twister on net, scores the game-winning goal. So Ohio State hurts their chances of an at-large bid, and I'm not sure in terms of the Big Ten tournament how's it, how this plays for Penn State and jockeying them into, into position. I don't know if all the teams are making the Big Ten tournament or if only the top four teams are making the Big Ten tournament. I don't even know. I just know that Penn State walks off the field yesterday really happy beating Ohio State. So that's pretty awesome. Oh, and then uh, Gerard Arceri, he did a good job at the dot, 13-20 for Penn State. And then Alaric Fayak, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, the goalie that replaced Kobe Kniece for Penn State. He played really tough in the win, 15 saves, which made a big difference in that game. UMBC and Stony Brook. The America East has been absolutely crazy. Stony Brook and Vermont were both coming into the day with only one loss in, in America East play. UMBC and Albany each had two losses in America East play. Vermont loses to freaking Binghamton, which Binghamton has been an odd one this year. They're at four and four right now. They beat UMBC in the first contest, and then UMBC beat them by a goal in the second one. But then Vermont, I'm picturing Vermont beating up on on Binghamton uh, this weekend. I figured they'd beat them by five, six, seven goals or so. And despite, Do- uh, what's his name, uh, Connor Doyle? Um, the, the faceoff guy from Vermont is crazy. He went like 16 to 20 on the day. He won almost all the draws and Binghamton still pulled that out. So now Vermont has two losses. It made this game all the more important for Stony Brook. If they win this game, Stony Brook's the only team in the America East with only one loss and no UMBC pulls it out in overtime. Second time that UMBC has beaten Stony Brook in overtime this season. They beat him in four overtimes last year, or they, it took four overtimes to decide the last game earlier in the season with Stony Brook and UMBC with UMBC winning that one, I think 13, 12 and four OTs only took one OT this time. Ryan Frawley, he gets the game winner on a feed from Brett McIntyre with 28 seconds left in the extra period. Frawley finished the game with five goals and two helpers. Teammate Brandon Galloway went for four goals on the day. UMBC had to fight hard to overcome a position deficit as Stony Brook took 60%, 66% of the faceoffs uh, from the dot, but Tommy Linger played great in cage. 16 saves versus those 13 goals against, and that proved pitiful, pit, pivotal, pivotal in the win for Stony Brook. So now the the America East is all over the place. We've got four teams at the top of the America East with two loss losses. I don't know who holds the tiebreakers and all that crap, but I do know UMBC now gets to play in the tournament. I think in the end, the America East tournament will probably end up being Stony Brook, UMBC, 
um, uh, Vermont and Albany, and I don't know how much deeper they go in that tournament, but UMBC locks up their, their chance. Another good game, Bellarmine and Jacksonville. Jack Dolan put up three goals and an assist in Jacksonville's 8-7 win over Bellarmine. There were two storylines worth mentioning in this one that contributed to, to the outcome for Jacksonville. Face-offs. Nathan Knapp won 16 and 19 draws, dominating the dot for Jacksonville. So that was huge and key for them. However, on the other side, the reason there was no margin of victory here was J.C. Hagenbottom. He stood on his head for Bellarmine in cage. He made 16 saves on the day, helping Bellarmine stay in this game right to the end. Bellarmine, they actually controlled. I, I say they stayed in the game. They actually controlled the game most of it. I think through three quarters, Bellarmine led the bulk of those first three quarters of the game. But like we had other guys um, Sowers and Bernhardt did for their teams. Jack Dolan put Jacksonville on his back down the stretch in this one. He scored with four seconds left in the third to tie things up, and then Bellerman scores back. Um, Dolan then scored with 9.46 left in the fourth to tie things up again, and then Bellerman yet again uh, tied things back up again, or, or took a lead again. And then Dolan scores with 5.58 remaining in the contest to tie things up at sevens. And then Dolan assisted the game winner, a feed to Matt Stagnita with just 1.39 left in the game. So Dolan kind of puts Jacksonville on his back, helps them come back, help the, every time Bellerman would try to score to go back up by a goal again, Dolan would score one back to get back tied up and uh, just a great way to finish the game for him. And Jacksonville picks up that win over Bellerman. Now we get into some overtime here. What other games do we need to talk about? Let me actually get to the scoreboard because I'm sitting here on the calendar. But there were a couple others that I wanted to talk about here. Uh, Lehigh, they beat Bucknell. So Lehigh continues to be the best team in the um, in Pennsylvania, as well as whatever says, as Heller keeps saying. In this one here, Bucknell didn't play terrible. 18-12, Christian Mule, he goes 7-3. and three. In this one for Lehigh, Tommy Schelling, two and four, Justin Tiernan, three and O. Oh, and then at the faceoff dot, because you always got to check the faceoff dot for Lehigh, Sisselberger goes 21 of 27. The only thing I think is suspect here is that Lehigh is murking people at the faceoff dot thanks to Sisselberger, but they're not murking people on the scoreboard. So I think Lehigh may be giving up a little bit in terms of the defensive end of the field. Offensively, maybe their efficiency isn't quite where it could be, but man, between Sisselberger and that offense, they're, they're, they're scoring enough goals to win games. Lehigh now improves to 9-0 on the season, and who does Lehigh have left? And they hold wins over Loyola. They have a win over Army. They have a win over Navy. So, I mean, they've played, they haven't played the toughest schedule in the country uh, for sure, but they've played enough solid games overall that, that, you know, obviously they're a lock for the tournament, I would say, whether they win the Patriot League tournament or not I think they're, they're that the, the fact that they're doing this well and then you also have army up at, uh, army there and navy and a couple other teams I mean a anyone could win the tournament and get the automatic qualifier for this one if it's not Lehigh that wins the tournament it is almost guaranteed the Patriot will put two teams in this year partly thanks to the Ivy League not playing at all so that was a big one uh, and way worth mentioning. Uh, let's see here. We also had Cleveland State lost to Utah 11-9, but we're not really all that excited about that. Delaware in a big game. They beat Towson 16-8. Charlie Kitchen 2-4. Ty Kurtz 2-3. The ramifications for this one, though, just in terms of conference play, the CAA Delaware is now sitting at the top still 6-1 in conference play Drexel's five and two Delaware has to finish up against UMass 
and Drexel. Whoops, I clicked the wrong team there. Drexel will end up finishing up against Towson. And it's kind of split because Delaware beat Drexel and Drexel beat Delaware. So it's going to come right down to the final week here. And uh, But, you know, at, at this stage, I think Delaware, they just have to handle their business, win their last game of the year. They win the conference at least during the regular season. Once again, you win your conference in the regular season, good. You really got to win your tournaments, though, to make sure that you're getting into the NCAA tournament for all of these conference tournaments that, that end up providing uh, automatic qualifiers for teams. What else we got to talk about? We got Villanova, Marquette. Villanova beat Marquette 19-8. Albany beat up on New Jersey Tech 18-8. Uh, high Point Air, Air Force lo- loses to High Point thirteen to eight, and it was uh, Braden Maia. I saw had six goals in the day for High Point. Asher Nolting a little quieter, one goal and three helpers, but Maia tore it up for High Point in this win. That gets High Point back to five and five, but their conference is kind of already decided. Richmond's at four and zero. Jacksonville, Jacksonville's at four and one. It's going to come down to the tournament for the SoCon, as as we've said with all. And I don't think anyone comes out of the SoCon with an at large bid. I think in the SoCon you're going to get one team, and it's going to be the conference champion. So I think Richmond's still the favorite, obviously, but Jacksonville and High Point are the other two teams that that Richmond ends up having to worry about. Like I said. Vermont loses to Binghamton. Vermont won the bulk of the faceoffs. Binghamton just played really good defense all day long, and they pull out that 10-7 win. Bryant beat up on Sacred Heart 20-12. Hobart beat Merrimack 14-10. St. Bonaventure, they pick up a win 11-6 over Siena. Denver absolutely massacred St. John's. At one point, I saw something on Twitter where I thought they said the score was 13-0. Denver at one stage, it ends up being 19-11 Denver wins by the end, so they must have taken their foot off the gas heavily. Drexel in a big game for them to try to keep pace with Delaware. They beat Hofstra 12-8. Let's check the box on that one. Reed Bowering, he goes for three goals and a helper for Drexel and uh, Sean Donnelly goes for one and goes one and three. And what did our man Ryan Tierney was held to just one assist on the day off eight shots. So Drexel figures out uh, how to shut Ryan Tierney's ass up and Tierney just goes for a helper and nothing more. And let's just keep going through uh, Loyola. They beat Lafayette 11-7. Georgetown beat up on Providence 14-5. LIU loses to St. Joseph's. That was one that I was hoping I was hoping that didn't happen, but LIU they do lose to St. Joseph's. So now I mean now St. Joseph's is at seven and three, LIU at six and three. Jake Gillis he goes for six goals in the loss for LIU, so he had a big day. Richie LaCalandra was held down with just a goal and three helpers. But in terms of this conference here, because the NEC NEC has been crazy, St. Joseph's now seven and zero, oh. so they're going to win the NEC regular season uh, title because uh, each team, I think, only has one game left in the conference play, so they take that. But once again, comes down to the tournament. What are you going to do in the tournament, assuming the NEC has a tournament? And and once again, I think also you are going to have to um, not just win your tournament. They're going to have to win the tournament. There will be no at-large bid coming out of the NEC, I don't believe, anyway. So I think that St. Joseph's kind of just proved, hey, we are right now king shits in the NEC. I, I personally didn't see that coming. I thought that it was going to go to Hobart or Bryant earlier in the year. So St. Joseph's playing tough all year long. Who is their worst loss to? Let's check out St. Joseph's here. Overall, St. Joseph's lost to Towson, Delaware, and Army. They started the season 0-3, St. Joseph's did, and now they've got 
won two, three, or well, seven. I, I was going to say I was going to count them, but they've won seven games in a row since losing those first three games. Uh, when they're, you know, they're not any huge wins in here. Bryant, LIU, and Hobart are their best three wins overall. But that that conference has been a dogfight, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out by the end. And uh, well, the only other game that we didn't talk about, Marist beat Manhattan 14-7. Eh, you know, I'm glad Marist is playing lacrosse, though. That's a big deal here. Games that we have on the schedule for today, the Big Cat. The Big Cat is North Carolina and Notre Dame. I think that one goes down at 2 o'clock today. We got Mercer and Richmond, eh, Rutgers and Mer- Michigan, eh, Rutgers is going to win that. Tufts and Dartmouth play at three. We got a D3 team playing a lowly D1 team. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. I know a lot of people were thinking Tufts is going to wax Dartmouth, but then in the Cabrini uh, pen game, pen waxed Cabrini. And I forget, I think Brown beat up somebody or no Brown played Boston. You and played well. So yeah, I don't think it's going to be the bloodbath that everybody thinks, but it could be Dartmouth is not a great lacrosse team and Tufts is a really good D3 team. So this one, probably it could be close, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Dartmouth win by a couple goals. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Tufts win by 10. Just depends on what happens. Certainly Dartmouth is there. You know, they haven't got a whole lot of uh, experiences here, not playing any games up to this point. Is that correct? Or am I wrong on that one? Yeah. Dartmouth is a O and O so far here this year. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, that big one here today, Notre Dame, North Carolina. Uh, what it's going to come down to, I think, for Carolina is what can they do at the faceoff dot against Leonard and Gallagher. Notre Dame's faceoff duo of Leonard and Gallagher are best, you know, one of the best two duos in the country here. There ends up being some singular guys that are better than they are, have played better than they have, but they're very formidable. And Tucci and company for North Carolina, whoever they've got taken draws, not quite as formidable overall. So that is going to be huge. And the fact that Notre Dame just plays so well defensively, they are, they are that team that could easily hold North Carolina back a little bit and just enough with the possession disparity that they could end up winning this game. Uh, and then both goalies have been playing well. Uh, Entman for Notre Dame and Krieg in cage, the freshman for North Carolina. So expect a dogfight in this one. Uh, expect it to be yet another one or two goal ACC game. If anybody's going to win by a margin, I don't, I was going to try to say it was going to be Notre Dame, but shit, I could be wrong. Carolina could end up winning by three or four as well. So it'll have that. That'll be the game I'm tuning into today uh, to watch here. Once I, um, you know, take my kids outside, run them into the ground. I think we're going to get some rain, it looks like. So who knows what's going to happen. But now I'm rambling, so it's official. I'm getting the hell out of here. As always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Go to laxfactor.com to support us. Come back during the week. Wednesday, we're going to do our our show talking about today's games and then the games that are upcoming for the weekend that everyone needs to watch. So probably no live stream Saturday. I know I've been flaking on the live stream like crazy. I'm just going to say it right now. Probably no live stream Saturday, but I will announce uh, Saturday morning if I end up doing it. Probably got to go shoot my new gun Saturday morning before all the games start is what I'm thinking. So that'll be it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out.